welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Unfair Podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investment and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Emma McGarthy, Head of Onfit Sustainable Policy Institute, and today I am joined by Simone Ertemach, who is Director of Sustainable Finance at the International Capital Markets Association, or ICMA. So today we'll be diving into transition finance. Uh, we'll be looking at the latest in transition bonds and products, uh, its anticipated growth, how this will support the development of a global sustainable economy, um, and also uh, looking at greenwashing concerns uh, and hopefully the role that transition finance can play um, in alleviating those. Um, so thank you so much, Simone, for joining us today. Um, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Emma, and a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. Lovely to have you. So um, let's dive in with my first, perhaps uh, slightly basic question, but I think one that's important for our listeners so that we can really get an understanding of, of what it is. But could you uh, could you explain what transition finance is um, and then how this will support the development of a sustainable finance and green economy as well? Yeah, thank you. And it sounds like a basic question, but I think um, actually to put this into a bit of context, we need to uh, we should perhaps go back a little bit in history um, and and just look at uh, how this all came about. So it probably helps to look a bit at uh, what happened uh, in the 70s, where until then there was this belief that natural resources could be used at little to no cost. But then uh, all of a sudden concerns about fossil fuels developed. And in 1988, years of studies and warnings from scientists uh, about the threat of anthropogenic climate change led to the creation of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, which uh, is still very important. And, and, and we look to that um, related to transition finance. In 1992, at the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, a group of leaders saw that transforming private finance would be the key to achieving sustainable development. And so that's really how sustainable finance developed. Um, Jumping ahead a couple of years in 2015, uh, as you know, that was a very important year. And uh, among other crucial agreements, we saw the Paris Agreement, a legally binding international treaty on climate. And Article 2 of the Paris Agreement states the famous goal to hold the increase in the global average temperature to well below two degrees above pre-industrial levels and pursuing efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees in order to reduce the risks and impacts of climate change. Further on in that article, uh, it actually talks about making finance flows consistent with pathways towards low greenhouse gas emissions and climate resilient development. I think transition finance, uh, to come back to your question, uh, I would say developed really from the realization that in order to reach the ambition of the Paris Agreement and with the earlier realizations I talked about on, the, um, on natural resources and, and fossil fuel industry, um, it really developed from there, and it was a realization that in order to reach those ambitions, everyone needs to be on board. So more concretely, that means we need businesses in high-carbon sectors and industries, such as fossil fuels, but also transportation, agriculture, mining, steel, cement, chemicals, and others, to transform and reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. This has all become much more tangible with the need for an energy transition and global climate events, as we all see them on the news daily. 
And for that, companies, but also governments, will need finance or transition finance, as we call it, um, a large part of which is raised through bonds or extended through loans, which are often funded through bonds as well, uh, which is, of course, an area that we look at. So long explanation, but I think it uh, it helps to put all of that into a bit of context, especially since you also asked the relation to sustainable and green finance. No, absolutely. I think uh, I think that's a really, really lovely explanation. So um, and then my next question would be the role that the ITMA is playing um, in driving transition finance and, and kind of having it being more implemented and looked at in, in the markets. Yeah, so maybe first of all, um, ICMA, for those who don't know on the podcast, uh, is a trade association. Uh, we currently have over 600 members active in all segments of international debt capital markets in 66 jurisdictions globally. Among our members are private and public sector issuers, banks and securities dealers, asset and fund managers, insurance companies, law firms, capital market infrastructure providers, and also central banks. I just mentioned that a lot of transition finance is raised through sustainable bonds. And since 2014, ICMA has been providing the secretariat to the principles that underpin that sustainable bonds market. So we just call it the principles because there are so many of them, but that's really the green and social bond principles, the sustainability bond guidelines, and the sustainability linked bond principles. So these principles have become the de facto global voluntary market standards and as such very much contribute to maintaining market integrity in the sustainable bonds market. I think the reason why they are so widely accepted and used is that they were and continue to be created and updated by an executive committee of underwriters, issuers and investors in this market. And we, and when I say we, I mean the XCOM supported by ICMA, uh, see transition finance as a theme that can be financed by issuing debt instruments aligned to the principles. So to explain that further, um, in use of proceeds format, that could be a green bond or sustainability bond, which is a mix of green and social, or as a general purpose bond, a sustainability linked bond uh, or SLB. In order to provide further credibility, the frameworks of these bonds can then also be aligned with the thematic guidance that ICMA offers uh, in the form of the Climate Transition Finance Handbook, um, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit more. The principles and related guidance is all freely available, I should say, on the ICMA website. So for anyone who wants to, to look up whatever we're talking about, and we also provide education and are involved in many global initiatives related to transition finance. Lovely. Thank you. Um, and indeed, it would be really great to hear a little bit more about this thematic guidance. There was also talk of a working group to support this as well. So it'd be great uh, to, to hear a little bit about what that guidance is and the work the working group is is undertaking. Yeah, so as already explained, the main decision-making body is the XCOM. But in order to get wider market consensus when we create or update the principles and related guidance, every year we set up uh, working groups. You can see them on the website as well. So um, in addition to issuers, underwriters and investors, um, those working groups would also contain other parties to the sustainable bond market, such as stock exchanges, uh, external reviewers, law firms, NGOs uh, and, and others. 
Um, we launched the Climate Transition Finance Working Group in January 2020, uh, and that one delivered the first edition of that Climate Transition Finance Handbook I mentioned in December of that year. And then this year, in 2023, for the first time since then, we have updated the CTF Handbook. So the handbook um, seeks to provide clear guidance and common expectations for capital market participants. That's mainly for issuer. As I mentioned, it's a, a thematic guidance. It's not principles. And the guidance is really focused on the practices, actions, and disclosures to be made available when they raise funds in debt markets for climate transition-related purposes. In addition to the updates made to the four key elements in that handbook this year, um, we've also added uh, an annex which contains a new infographic that illustrates how the guidance from that CTF handbook works in conjunction with the principles. So what I, what I explained before, you can issue uh, different kinds of instruments uh, and those can be used in conjunction with the thematic guidance. Um, we have also emphasized this, uh, especially uh, that it's especially relevant to green sustainability and sustainability linked instruments, um, and that they can be designated as climate transition bonds, uh, which sometimes take the form of a transition label, uh, as you know, which we see in, in certain jurisdictions. Thank you. Lovely. Um, so could you talk me through uh, the governance and the business models that should be in place to support uh, the transition? Um, does this maybe tap in a little bit to the guidelines that you just mentioned? But, uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear what the, the business model should be and, and the governance structures that the uh, organization should be looking to, to implement and to have to, to be able to guide this transition. Yeah, so as indicated, there are four key elements to the Climate Transition Finance Handbook. Um, the first one is about the issuer's climate transition strategy and governance. And the second one is about the business model. So a climate transition strategy should really clearly communicate and provide detailed information on how an issuer intends to adapt its business model over time to reach the goals of the Paris Agreement. And the handbook then recommends the disclosure of clear oversight and governance of an issuer's climate transition strategy, including the accountability of management and board level. So it should really be uh, high up. Um, C-suite should be on board uh, and there should be oversight uh, in the form of committees, perhaps, as well. Um, transition finance is really designed to communicate a recognition on the part of the company that there may be change required to the business model. Um, and it's about the core of the company, what it wants to do going forward. A reason directly related to the Paris Agreement and obvious to us all, especially when we watch the news, uh, is companies, especially in certain sectors, needs to reduce their emissions, which are contributing to climate change. An energy transition can also enhance energy security. So that's quite obvious uh, to all of us. But as we know, companies are not altruistic. Um, so what will make having to transition even more compelling to them is if climate change is material to their business models. So this means that they could be at risk of facing lower demand for their products in the future because of more sustainable alternatives becoming available through perhaps also technology uh, advancements. Um, there could be impending government interventions to limit carbon emissions, 
taxes, etc. So the reasons, but the reasons could be to mitigate a risk to the business, but it could also be um, to take advantage of new business opportunities. So all of this is very important and all of this should also be communicated to the market, of course, when uh, issuing a bond. So investors understand why the company needs the money. Yeah, absolutely. And so going into this, uh, the communicating of the risk, obviously, we've seen in the last few years a rise of disclosure frameworks and expectations. And obviously, this is something that is being embedded more and more into uh, the financial sector's business models and considerations. Regulators are looking at this a lot. So could you talk me through uh, from an issuer's perspective, um, some examples of issuance disclosures and, and, and what that looks like? And Maybe also kind of going back to the business question, the targets that should be in place to support this. Um, and actually, you mentioned opportunities. It might be lovely to hear a little bit about kind of the opportunities that you're seeing uh, beyond looking at just like the risk and integrating your risk frameworks. And obviously, climate does pose a big risk. And this is why this is important to think about disclosures and reporting. But as you said, there are opportunities. So it'd be great just to hear a little bit of some examples of that as well. A lot of questions in there. Firstly, let's go to the examples of issuance discussions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the strategy and targets, uh, so that's also covered in the handbook in the third element. And I should mention those elements that I mentioned, they're not sequential. So it's four elements, uh, but they, in a way, they all work in parallel. So the third element, uh, again, speaks a little bit more to the climate transition strategy and that it should, uh, it, it emphasizes that it should reference science-based targets and transition pathways. Um, this is based on the fact that there is scientific guidance around the required rate of greenhouse gas emissions. So we see the IEA reports and the IPCC, and uh, there's a lot of uh, reports out there um, that really help to, to science base and evidence this on the climate change side. Um, so this should all be incorporated um, in the strategy, and the handbook also further details um, that the strategy should be quantitatively measurable and aligned with the latest methodology. It should be benchmarkable. So, um, again, you should use, should look to external benchmarks. Uh, also look at your own historical performance. Just provide something that investors can compare it to. Your peers uh, would also make sense. Um, the strategy should be publicly disclosed, of course, um, including interim targets. Um, it's not that helpful if you come up with targets for 2050 because we need to, to get there in, in interim steps. And it also needs to be um, something that investors can, can look to uh, every few years. And it also needs to be supported by independent assurance or verification. So we don't only want to believe what the issuer says. It, it, it would also help to have this independently verified. Um, now, in addition to the Climate Transition Finance Handbook, uh, last year we also published a methodologies registry. So um, if you are an issuer and you're just only starting to think about these things and you're setting up your climate transition strategy, um, you're making a transition plan, uh, you can look to those methodologies. It's a living document. It's not something that we endorse, but it's just uh, to put out there um, all the things that we're aware of. So there are many tools from the science-based targets initiative, from the transition pathway initiative, uh, and so on. So have a look at that spreadsheet. Um, it's a non-exhaustive -exhaust uh, list um, 
of all these initiatives. And then also in this year's handbook update, uh, we added an, un an annex of uh, wider official and market guidance uh, for climate transitions themed sustainable bonds uh, that can be used in support of these instruments. So things like the taxonomies that are out there, OECD guidance and so on. Um, so on your question on opportunities, uh, I mean, that can be uh, many things. An obvious one would obviously be for energy companies, uh, fossil fuel companies to uh, look more to to going into renewable energies, uh, developing their business in, in that respect. Um, I don't know, steel could look to uh, hydropower if it's green hydropower. So. There are a lot of things, uh, and it really, it should make business sense, of course. Um, so ideally, if it's a win-win situation for, uh, it helps the uh, environment, but also helps the business, um, that will, uh, that will probably work, uh, work best. But, uh, yeah, just to say it's not just, uh, to avoid risks, uh, but also there could be new opportunities in there. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously we're talking about transition finance. I mentioned in my introduction, we'd be talking a little bit about transition bonds. Um, and it's been interesting to see the, the kind of development of products which are specifically geared towards transition as opposed to kind of just green and sustainability. And I think this is quite important in, in moving the market and supporting this, this shift towards a greener economy. So um, what, what do issuers need to consider uh, with transition bonds? Uh, how are these being received in the market? Um, and, and what is that looking like from, from ICMA's perspective? Yeah, so the guidance that ICMA provides on climate transition finance is intended mainly for issuers. Actually, it can be used by other financial market participants as well, but it's mainly for issuers. And as mentioned, we see transition as a theme that can be financed through the principles. So issuers in the first place would uh, think about, um, well, they would come up with their strategies we talked about, uh, and then they would, would look um, to what instruments to use to raise finance for that. Uh, I mentioned green bonds, sustainability bonds, sustainability linked bonds, uh, for example. And for transition-related instruments, uh, in order to add further credibility, they can then align that with um, the handbook and um, also follow the guidance on disclosures. So you asked me about disclosures earlier as well. Um, I've already mentioned a few, but um, there could also be – we often hear that a transition uh, has to be um, – in order to really work better, it should be fair and just um, – so where relevant issuers should also outline how they have incorporated considerations of a just transition um, and any uh, social expenditures that are considered relevant. Um, they should think of scope three emissions, so where material scope three emissions should be disclosed and, and also um, where they are expected to be material but are not yet identified or measured, a timeline should be disclosed. Um, and they should also think about carbon cost assumptions, phase out plans for carbon intensive activities, any locked in emissions. Um, so these are all things issuers uh, need to think about. Um, and then, as I said, they can they can then if they would like to label their um, their bonds as transition bonds as well. So in the first place, it would be a green bond or an SLB, but they can if they want to add a a designation as a transition related. Um, 
we investors that we speak to generally agree with the themed approach, I should say, um, but I am aware that issuers in hard to abate sectors are still apprehensive sometimes uh, issuing a green bond to finance a transition related project um, as that might be perceived wrongly. I have to admit, uh, and this is something I keep mentioning, uh, especially with this, uh, you know, with greenwashing accusations out there. Um, the word green can be confusing, but if you really read the principles, what it means is that the proceeds of a green bond are contributing to environmental objectives, such as climate change mitigation and adaptation. And this is very much true, of course, for transition themed bonds as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a really excellent point. And we've definitely seen in the last year there has been a, a higher concern, I think, of, of labelling things green and, and what that could look like with greenwashing and, and regulators kind of put, having a little bit more scrutiny, uh, scrutiny on that. Um, so obviously transition bonds are developing, but have not really been used as a wide, uh, widespread global sustainable bond label as of yet. But we have seen that there have been some transition bond issuances. Japan, for example, um, has done this. So uh, how do you anticipate the growth of transition bonds versus other types of sustainable products? And actually, we, we just tapped into uh, the kind of fear of labelling things green. Do you think actually having something labelled as transition would kind of alleviate some concerns um, and kind of support support that drive? What, what are your thoughts on that? So investors, in my experience, do not like having too many different labels, uh, although I can see how having them uh, can work as a marketing tool or perhaps also allow for easier discoverability on a data provider's platform. In Asia, where transition is a big topic, and we've just seen that, uh, we've just been to Singapore for our annual conference of the principles, um, we typically see transition bonds in the form of use of proceeds bonds. And especially in Japan, these are also increasingly aligned with the CTF handbook, which has been adapted by the Japanese regulator in 2021. Um, in other jurisdictions, I would say sustainability linked bonds, um, where the focus is more on the strategy of the issuer as opposed to the use of proceeds, seem to have become more popular um, as a transition-related instrument. So we've also just seen the first SLBs issued by sovereigns uh, in Latin America, Chile and uh, Uruguay. They have also had a transition theme and the KPIs linked to greenhouse gas emission reductions uh, with Chile um, or also mentioning its targets with, that were based on the international climate commitments under the Paris Agreement. So very interesting, this twofold approach in a way, uh, use of proceeds on the one hand and SLBs on the other hand, and probably use of proceeds a little bit more popular in Asia and SLBs maybe in other parts of the world. Uh, yeah, so, so you see the issuance of uh, transition bonds taking place more in Asia than in Europe, for example, or do you think it's kind of globally happening? What's your perspective there? Um, yeah, as I said, it's, it's probably a bit difficult to measure sometimes because that's it's easier to discover of course if a transition themed bond if you will is labeled as transition uh, you have to dig a little bit deeper uh, to look into the projects being financed uh, and so on uh, if it's not labeled um, 
But I think in general, yes, transition theme bonds uh, will increase because it's obviously an increasingly important theme as we discussed in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit about greenwashing, and I think you've already tapped into some of uh, this question slightly with some of your answers, but I think it would be good to, to dive a bit deeper into this. So uh, obviously there are greenwashing concerns linked to transition finance and, and you know, sustainable bonds in, in general, and there is a debate about whether stricter regulation uh, or more disclosure from issuers is, is required. Well, as the International Capital Market Association, we try to keep an eye on what is happening globally. And as you know, there's a lot being proposed and put out in terms of sustainable finance policies and regulation. And some of it uh, directly or indirectly related to transition finance and also more specifically to greenwashing, of course. Um, at ICMA, we are in regular contact with regulators and also respond to consultations on behalf of our members. And on the greenwashing debate, I would say what we actually put out in terms of a response to the ESAS consultation in January, um, where we remarked that the debate is currently um, quite wide. It, range, uh, it ranges from behaviors from misrepresentation to lack of ambition on both the product level, that's mostly funds, but also the issuer level. There is also limited allowance for distinguishing between intentional and unintentional behavior. So there needs to be a lot more clarity, and we also have recorded a series of podcasts that discusses greenwashing accusations in the sustainable bonds market. So those can be found on the uh, ICMA website as well. For issuers specifically, other than aligning with the ICMA principles and guidance, I would say it's very important to be as transparent as possible with the market. So, for example, we've seen even with use of proceeds bonds, there is a lot of focus on the strategy of the issuers. We see that transition plans play an important role. Uh, they are also mentioned in a lot of um, regulations and, and policy proposals also in uh, voluntary initiatives that are out there. And we have a lot of regulation coming up with mandatory disclosures, of course, as you referred to. So I would say that those mandatory disclosures can perhaps help where a voluntary approach didn't work, but they need to be usable. So the regulation really needs to be implementable. And there is a lot going on, as I said, at the moment in terms of uh, reporting by the ISSB, but also EFRAC, the TCFD climate-related disclosures have already been made mandatory in various jurisdictions. We have the CSDDD in the EU that will require disclosures on the climate side and also on the social side, of course. Um, and we will have to see. It's really most important that the implementation of all of these works and uh, that perhaps the dots will be connected between different uh, regulatory efforts, especially uh, globally. So there needs to be um, hopefully not too much uh, fragmentation. And ultimately, what I keep saying, we will always have to see, of course, all of this additional data that we're getting through the regulations uh, and through mandatory disclosures, how that will really link to the real world progress, because that's what ultimately will be important uh, and, of course, will be the ultimate goal for um, the Paris Agreement. Yeah, and my, my final question is how we can drive better transparency with all of this, um, especially, uh, 
you mentioned scope free. Actually, a big issue that we're always seeing is, is data um, and the lack of data. And I think transparency kind of ties into that. But do you have any thoughts on, on how we can um, drive better transparency in terms of kind of what we're looking at with? Yeah, with transition, um, with the products that are out there, with the issuance of these products and investors and, yeah, how we can uh, how we can support that. Um, yeah, so with the principles and the related guidance, uh, we hope to enhance transparency and preserve market integrity. Um, we talked mostly about the Climate Transition Finance Handbook, but, of course, there is uh, instrument-specific guidance in form of the principles that issuers could look to in detail. The SLBP recommend that targets should be ambitious. This is something uh, that is often criticized in transition uh, related to SLBs. Uh, this is also what sometimes leads to greenwashing accusations. Um, and there's also additional guidance like illustrative examples for KPIs. For use of proceeds bonds uh, reporting, especially impact reporting, is increasingly important uh, to investors. Um, this really shows the link to the real world. So, again, um, all of this, as I say, we hope uh, will will help to maintain or increase market integrity, uh, help to uh, combat greenwashing uh, accusations. Sometimes greenwashing accusations also arise from uh, Perhaps a market being very nascent, like the SLBs, um, there's maybe unintentional greenwashing because uh, investors uh, or, or, or rather issuers um, were not that familiar with what they're supposed to do yet. Um, it, it can have different reasons, but uh, we help, I think, with um, providing clarity uh, every year in form of new guidance, updated guidance. Um, we have a dialogue with the market. Um, we provide education uh, documents. Um, so this is all helping transparency and, and market integrity, I hope. Issuers should take a look at the ever-growing Q&A handbook as well. Um, so this is something that's sort of interpreting all these uh, principles and guidance and um, really gives practical application for transactions. Amazing. Thank you, Simone. I think that's a, that's a really good spot to, to end on. And, and absolutely, to our issuers listening, um, we can also send out any of that information. We can attach it to the to the podcast if you do review that. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much, Simone, for joining me for this discussion today. Um, again, to our listeners, we are actually running an event in November on transition finance specifically, which will be in Singapore. We'll, we'll also link this to the, the podcast page. Do have a look um, and do register. Thank you for listening. Um, and you can subscribe to this and all other OnFit podcasts on our channel, which is on Spotify and or iTunes. Thank you again, Simone. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for listening to the OnFit podcast. 